Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. This is Nicole Hannah-Jones, creator of the 1619 Project from the New York Times Magazine. The project makes a case that you don't often hear in history textbooks, that slavery was foundational to America. So it wasn't surprising that we ignited a fierce debate among historians about these issues. But that's the power of the New York Times, to spark an important dialogue with bold, rigorous reporting that forces us to examine our assumptions. To learn more, go to nytimes.com slash worth it. You would experience things, you have those discussions with each other. With me, I'll just go to their feet. That's actually terrible, but I can find light out of it. I can learn something from that. Mm-hmm. Is that intentionally terrible? Did that person not know what they were doing? Or was that person really just being a B-A-S-T-A-R-D, that we yeah, for need to actually <laughs> make sure it's reflected? And both things were happening. Yeah. And I just thought, okay, let me just put it all in one place and learn from them and try and build a self-help book around it about how you can actually navigate those things in the corporate world. Hi, I'm Nell Zabby, and you're listening to The Wannabe Podcast. Hello, and welcome to The Wannabe Podcast. I'm your host, Imri. Wannabe is the podcast that takes you from where you are right now to where you want to be in 30 minutes or less. Thank you for staying subscribed and listening in. You can subscribe for free and catch a brand new 30 minute episode every Wednesday. And if you're enjoying this episode, tell a friend, tweet me at Wannabe Podcast and screenshot and tag the episode you're listening to and tag Wannabe Podcast in your Insta stories. This week's guest is Nels Abbey, author of the funny new book, Think Like a White Man. Nels is a British Nigerian writer and media executive and a graduate of the Penguin Right Now scheme. In a previous life, Nels was a banker. Much of the book was inspired by his direct experience of trying to build a career in white dominated areas, first in the city and later in the media. This is his first book, which is described as a satirical self-help book skewering the prejudices of the modern-day British workplace by explaining the rules by which mediocre white men continue to get ahead. And it comes out on May 16th. In today's episode, Nels will show you what to expect from working in all-white environments. Nels shares why it's important that you have a creative pursuit outside of your corporate job. And we talk about what you might want to do if you're the only one in the office. Your publicity manager... For your book came to me um, with the title of your book. I immediately burst out laughing. Could you tell people what it is and what it's about, please? It's a book called Think Like a White Man. It's a satirical self-help book on conquering the world while black. Um, it's pretty much a self. It's a satirical self-help book, principally about being black within the corporate world. It's written by this fictional. Uh, professor of, or guy who holds himself out as a professor of white people studies called Dr. Boulay Whitelaw, who contacted me in 2014, fictionally, and asked me to help get his message out to the world. And I've been roped into this. And here I am right now. How 
did you even come up with this piece? <laughs> what was the creative process? The creative process was a bit of a... It's a very good question. I think, so I'd been in the corporate world for a very long time. What but, part? I mean, like what industry? So I worked in financial services to okay. begin with. So I worked as a banker to, to keep it 1,000, keep it 1,000. Nice. One but you were keeping it 1,000. <laughs> yeah. So um, <laughs> I worked over there. I worked for a very, some of the best and brightest organizations within the business. Um, I'm not going to name them because I don't want to get sued by implication or anything else. <laughs> but yeah, so, and also too, I worked um, for very, very large media organizations where I also worked in senior capacities too. But this started off when I just, just on the cusp of becoming a dad in 2014. And um, I'd always been a writer. I was, whilst I was working in banking, whilst I was a banker, for example, I was writing for The Voice newspaper. Oh, I was right. writing for The Evening Standard, The Guardian, wherever, anybody who would take what, my work. What subjects specifically were you writing about? For The Voice in particular, The Voice, bless them, gave me free reign to write about anything I pleased. So I wrote about politics, about business, about economics, about pan-Africanism, about... Um, um, about things that black educated black Britons like, about food, rice dishes, you name it. I just mm-hmm. had the ability to write about it. So it really granted me space to be very, very um, open about things and um, creative as I as creative as I wanted to be. Amazing. Um, so I guess because you're working in these corporate, <laughs> mainly white spaces, yep. you would have experienced uh, what we call microaggressions. Mm, and uh, macroaggressions, even. And macro, yep. probably some really overt things. Yep. Um, I've only ever been in startup space, uh, which you thought would be more liberal um, and more tolerant of others. It wasn't. Um, but it was in like a, I guess it was in Morgate to be specific. And that was the financial area. So we had a lot of like, um, I guess like really businessy businesses yep. startup like financial in the financial space like fintech businesses yep. i guess um and yeah been, i've got called an n-word in that building um wow. a very popular co-working building and i was like wow i was not expecting this in big 2017 but here we are mm-hmm. um so yeah i can imagine uh that there's a lot of stories to tell but where why why did you go with satire um and why have you chosen this kind of Telling the story through this fictional person as opposed to your own personal experience? I, f- I felt with satire you could be a bit more honest and a bit less um, politically correct. Um, that you could go in directions and say things that you probably, that I just would not be able to say at all. That if I'm thinking as my. Like if, what? So. <sighs> If I think of certain things that even the title, Think Like a White Man, if it was a book by me, by Nell Savvy, I would never ever in a million years think here's a book by Nelson Abbott called Think Like a White Man. It just isn't something that would that I would feel repulsed by it a little bit. But actually adopting this professor of white people studies, Dr. Boulet Whitelaw, as a concept, as a character, putting him on paper and actually just writing this from his from a, from a slightly different voice, mm-hmm. actually leveraging the experiences I've been through, the different things that not just myself, myself and my friends have been through, um, and then putting it down on the paper and making it funny, making it jokey, for example. Yeah. Not con- uh, at the same time having a very, very serious point. And when I say jokey, it's not. It's more Dave Chappelle comedy than it is actual Kevin Hart <laughs> on a good day. So it's not really. It's not. It's not candy. For, it's not nice. Or so it's. It's nice, but it's not. Yeah. Easy to digest at times. Sometimes there's going to be moments where we hit, we will hit you in the belly. Yeah. Um, it will make you think. It will make you laugh. And I hope it, it makes you learn at the same time. But I just felt it was a little bit easier, not easier, a little bit smarter for me to do it as a satire. And also so I felt that from as black people in Britain, I couldn't really name a black British satirist. I couldn't mm. really put my finger on who's the person who has done this before, who I can take a look at their work and see how I can perhaps better it or do it better or so or yeah. walk within the path. And I thought, okay, well, 
I can't name anybody doing it. I can name many comedians, I can name many actors, many writers, but I just couldn't name any black satirists in Britain. Mm. So I thought, okay, somebody has to do it, might as well do it. Had you written satire before? I was, I think, so part of what I do, my life's pretty much a satire when you think about it, but no, no, when you, part of, a lot of what I do when I was writing for places, wherever I, wherever I wrote, I'd always find that, I would always find that way to, to make the audience laugh mm-hmm. whilst making them think at the same time. So a lot of what I was doing was almost satirical by nature. And I think the black media, and maybe I helped contribute to this to a large degree, black media, both here and in the States, we started to move in that direction where we realised that, look, on the hard, serious stuff, we were always going to be crowded out by the big mainstream guys. But yeah. speaking in our tongue and our tone, and even when you think of black audiences of black people together, for example, even when, even if you go to a funeral, yeah, you'll see the person actually at the top cracking jokes sometimes or so to ease the actual atmosphere out. Yeah. So it's just, it's, it became, it just became very, very, it comes very, very naturally to me. So yes, the answer is yes. I have done my fair bits and bobs as far as satire is concerned, but as far mm. as a long form piece, a yeah. book, this is my first time. Wow, how was writing a book? How long did it take? Start to finish. So the first, the first draft, which is always rubbish from my perspective, which is you think good to know. You, you finish the first draft, you think you're a genius, then you go back there. So I tend to write something, yeah. fall out of love with it, then go back with it, go back to it, and then write it again. So the first draft took about six to seven months. Oh wow, okay, yeah, that's not terrible. Like part time, evening weekends type. Yeah. So truth be told, if I told you this, so when I was working as a banker, for example, I have eight large screens in front of me. And then one of them would just be, I don't know, Bloomberg, 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 emails, emails, messages. But the majority of the time, I'll just have this one screen in the bottom right or so, and I'll just actually have a little corner of it. And it would just be me writing the book. Is so, it? <laughs> all the time. Just, Brilliant. Because that would just be me. People would say, why are you laughing to yourself all the time? And I just think, oh, no, just somebody on the trading desk just sent me a funny joke or so, which can be very, which some, does sometimes happen. Which, yeah. And it'll be very, very politically crazy jokes. But it was just me laughing to myself and writing about it. So every time I experienced something, that okay, that was a bit of racism, learned something from this over here, that was a bit of a harsh experience, that was a microaggression, find a way to put it out. So, and if yeah. my friends, as I'm sure with your friends, everybody else, you would experience things, you have those discussions with each other. And with me, I'll just go there and think, that's actually terrible, but I can find light out of it. I can learn something from that. Mm-hmm. Is that intentionally terrible did that person not know what they were doing or was that person really just being a b-a-s-t-a-r-d that we therefore need to actually (laughs) make sure it's reflected and both things were happening yeah i just thought okay let me just put it all in one place and learn from them and try and build a self-help book around it about how you can actually navigate those things in the corporate world so would you say that the book is for like a cathartic read for black people or is it for white people to like take a good hard look at themselves like who's it for Rene Dolodge in her book she wrote something about if, if that in order for and I don't want to quote misquote um um Miss Edo Lodge but um she says something in order for things to be taken if something is not for a white audience it has to be explicitly labeled as such so I just explicitly labeled it as such <laughs> so there's one point in the assumptions <laughs> of the book it says here this book assumes that you are black yeah and uh meaning that hey um you have at least one drop of black blood flowing through your veins. You don't have gang tattoos in your. Oh, your, Jesus. Yeah, also to you're black, you want to, you work in the corporate world. So, and that's pretty much it. But at the same time, too, that's, I'm being facetious when I say that. This is a book that I believe everybody will find something to laugh at, laugh about, learn from, and hopefully do better from. So, it's a universal book that will appeal that I hope, and I actually am very confident it will appeal to everybody because I think everybody will recognize a bit of themselves inside there. It's a discussion largely on race within our societies, mm-hmm. within Western societies. 
societies and how we actually relate to each other and how we actually navigate things using the prism of the whitest place a black person could possibly want to inhabit, which is the corporate world. Mm. So can you like share some experiences of working in corporate? Because I guess some of the listeners in the, on the podcast are largely making decisions about where they're going to work. Mm-hmm. They're like 16, 18, 21, making these big, big decisions. Some are probably going to end up in corporate world because that's where the money is, yep. typically. There's lots of money in creative, by the way. But there's there's going to be a number of young black um, and people of color entering these spaces. And what can they look out for and what should they do in the event that they are experiencing what we can only describe as racist encounters on like possibly a daily basis or yeah. very traumatic, um, small microaggressions? I think if I give you my first example, my first real experience in the corporate world, mm-hmm. as in when I got a job, as in, and so I had applied for hundreds, countless numbers of jobs. And mm. sometimes you would actually walk inside the interview. And the moment you get there, you see the boss's face just drop like, oh, God. Wow. And um, you could tell that you were just going through the motions. And normally when you hear that, this would be a rather quick interview. You know you've not got the job. And oh, you know that's so, yeah. a good sign. So it's, it's normally, so that was a very, very, that became a dead giveaway for me. And I just kept noticing it. But I just kept going. I knew that deep down, if I... Get, if I got in once I got on or so I'd prove myself mm-hmm. and um, everybody would fall in love with me and I'd be we'd all live happily ever after and so on and so forth mm. that Beautiful happily dream. ever after <laughs> didn't really it doesn't really come it's it's a persistent thing of actually trying to overcome these things so if I was speaking to a young person today and they asked me what to expect within the corporate world you're black or so I'd say expect race this is Nicole Hannah-Jones creator of the 1619 Project from the New York Times Magazine The project makes a case that you don't often hear in history textbooks, that slavery was foundational to America. So it wasn't surprising that we ignited a fierce debate among historians about these issues. But that's the power of the New York Times, to spark an important dialogue with bold, rigorous reporting that forces us to examine our assumptions. To learn more, go to nytimes.com slash worth it. And they said to me, how do you actually, what do you do in the face of that racism, for example? I'll say you need to actually develop a shock absorption mechanism because the racism and the treatment you will often get will be shocking. Yeah. You will learn things or see things, for example, that, or hear things or be treated in a way that will be shocking, that will annoy you, that will inflate, that will inflame you, that will enrage you. Mm-hmm. But how do you respond to it? Now, if you respond to it in a similar, in a, in a, in a manner that will be largely be, be described to be just, or to be appropriate, which is, I am not tolerating that. You're bang out of order, for example. As a black person, that can reflect terribly on you. Yeah, That won't work for you in the slightest bit. So as far as racism in the corporate world is concerned, as I have actually done to a large degree, as horrible it sounds, I've had to turn a blind eye to so much of it. Mm. And people often say, well, you go back home, you speak to people, and when you're all around the dinner party or so, and they're saying, oh, well, I think you should have reported it, and you then hear months later when that person did report racism, and you hear months after that, that person's career is pretty much in a dustbin at the moment, they're trying yeah. to work their way out of it. So what I felt was really important, and it's a service I really had to provide to young people in particular, is that they had to know what to expect in these sorts of situations. And I just, I, I targeted young people, but also targeted people who are going through it mm-hmm. and have gone through it or so, so they can have an understanding that they're not going mad, that this is actually really, truly happening and it's something to expect. So it's it's a tough world. It's rewarding financially. Your career can go places. If you're strong and tough enough and cutthroat enough, you could probably make CEO, which is far from impossible in the slightest bit. It's something that you should aspire to and mm-hmm. go as far as possible. But 
I hope when you read the book, you will really have a vivid understanding of what you are really going to face and hopefully overcome it. Yeah, it sounds not very nice. <laughs> don't, 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 I, don't, I really don't want to put people off. I want people to, it's like what Kamala Harris said recently, I don't, I'm not trying to scare you, I'm trying to prepare you. I mm. want you I want you to recognize and see what's going to actually come about. So when you see it, when it happens or so, you're prepared for it. You know how to respond to it. It's kind of like if you if, if there's a cobweb and you know, I see something about to walk into it or so. Uh, I could just Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well-lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Say, okay, let me just watch this fool, how they actually scratch their face. Or just see walk around there, there's a cop over there, you might not be able to see it. I guess it's like controversial advice. I completely understand it as well because I think there are just, one, you need to survive. So there's always like you're constantly making that judgment call of how much do I want to react in this situation? Is my job going to be in jeopardy? I mean, financially I need security. And there's like a lot of things that come into play when you're dealing with racist, racism, microaggressions. Um, gender discrimination, all of the all, yeah. of the th- all of the isms and discriminations that come with um, being a minority in the workplace, but I'm I'm just wondering, like, what at what point does the culture change, or is, where who's responsible? Well, we know who's responsible for shifting and changing the culture, but mm-hmm. how do we make that not the case for the next generation going in? Because it's, it's uh, I to tolerate say, it just seems... I think that we're going for a paradigm shift right yeah. now. I might be wrong, but I, I think that we're going for a paradigm shift, uh, both here and in, Amer- in Western societies, for, as far as minorities, Western societies are concerned. Because around the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, even until today, to some degree, there was this large push for we need to get in and get on and try and be a little bit more like them, for example. And we gave up, even looking at in, in, the, in the United States of America, for example... We gave up a lot in order to integrate into those sorts of organisations, and mm-hmm. often we weren't getting much in return. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm certainly not pro um, segregation, but I'm not saying not segregationist. But I'm just saying that we need to be very, very careful about what you're giving up sometimes in order to get in order to get on into certain society, into certain spaces mm-hmm. that perhaps aren't really going to embrace you in them at the same time too. If I use the London nightclub scene, for example, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. often, which I, I mean, I'm, my club and days are far beyond me, but when I was a young person, when I was about your age or so, Lol. there was a, there was a, there was a lot of club nightclubs. They weren't black owned nightclubs, but they were like black populated nightclubs, Cork's yeah. Wine Bar, Hanover Grand, et cetera, so subterranean. Those places are all disappeared right now. Yeah. And then we're therefore, and I see the young people getting into big arguments with places like DSK or so. District. Remember. District. Yeah, I have yeah. been turned away from district because uh, I was black. There you see what I mean. I know it was because I was black because the, they, they told us. They but, let two white girls in ahead of us and said they were part of our group. And they said, 
you two white girls can go in for free. You three, which was me, an Asian girl and a mixed race girl, you three have to pay. And we're like, but we're all part of the same. No, you have to pay. Um, but, and they stared at us from across the street um, on their cameras to decide whether we should come in or not. Crazy. But you see what I mean? So, now, yeah. their pound sterling isn't worth more than your pound sterling. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you, if you're a club owner, for example, you should want, you're about making money. You're about creating an atmosphere or so. If you don't mind me saying so or so, you're not an ugly. You're not. You wouldn't be considered to be an ugly lady by any means whatsoever. <laughs> I'm not going the other Thanks. way because I, I'm not trying to get caught in these Me Too streets out here or something <laughs> like this. But um, but no. But the same. The, but the thing about it is that it's very, very. It's a very, very bizarre thing. So that's a club night, and that's terrible. And that must have hurt you. And I can say that must have yeah, hurt you. Yeah, it was on my birthday. So. You know what I mean? That, that just ruined your birthday. Yeah, it did. But if you take, for example, in my day, for example, mm. um, I don't district in all those places, but back of our minds, we're going court wine bar, uh, Big Ted, for example, we knew it for an amazing set. We would have whatever drinks we wanted to. We'd have a great time, and that would pretty much be that or so. And then we'll go home. And then we'll go home after that. And because we knew that these environments were places that actually would be accepting towards us. Mm-hmm. I think what's happening, something similar is mirroring within the corporate world. I think it's also happening as far as automation is concerned, too, that we're seeing a lot of people moving towards doing business by themselves. Yeah. Learning as much as they can do from the actual corporate world, taking as far as they can potentially do, and doing out things outside. If you take what I did, for example, I knew that, um, okay, I was working as a banker. I'll go home. I'll go work as a journalist on the freelance basis. I owned another business. I was doing other bits and bobs here and there. Yeah. And it put me so, I don't know, for the last eight months, for example, I took some time out to really just get to know myself a little bit more, spend time with my daughter, um, take some time out to actually write something else I want to write. And I could afford to do so for a series of different reasons because yeah. I actually set a foundation for myself. Now, if I was only working one job and I was reliant on that income, for example, it would have put me in a very, very difficult position. Don't get me wrong, I probably will still have to get myself another job because that's it. There's another set I need to bring the money in. Yeah. But um but yeah, but that's pretty much it. So I think what tends to be happening right now is if I was a young person going in right now, I probably would have been a bit, been a bit more aggressive on actually doing more things business wise and creating a much greater legacy for myself, a uh, much greater situation for myself outside of the corporate world than mm-hmm. inside. Because I mean, what they say, the devil creates um, work for idle hands. Yeah. That the corporate world would take about seven and a half hours of a day, maybe eight. Or maybe if you work in Goldman Sachs, for example, they take about 17 hours of a day or so. Um, I'm joking. I'm, uh, I've never worked for I Goldman mean, I Sachs. I mean, I know a lot of people uh, they work, do work a they lot. They work a lot of hard hours. So yeah. uh, the organizations I worked for didn't even work anywhere near as long as that, but we worked very, very hard to it at the same time. But the key thing is that doing something outside for yourself, building something, having that space of the world, because the majority, of, if I think of the city of London, for example, mm-hmm. if you cut the pay scales by about 50%, I think you'll probably lose about 60% of the staff there. Wow. Yeah, because most people, it's a very unique human being who's passionate about money management or <laughs> cash is king, bro. It's kind of like, it's a very, very rare human being, but everybody just wants to go in there because they can make quick Money, money for yeah. and that's pretty much it. Most, but the actual creative element is lacking there, which is actually conducive to the human experience too. Mm-mm. So it's um, all those different things. But I would say, I think there's a lot to learn there about how these things go. I think it was very important that um, as far as me writing a book that was actually looking almost a business book from a black perspective, um, I had to. I just felt the need to write it, but I just couldn't see how I, shortstop of being like at the top of the tree, like somebody who is maybe. Um, the lady who runs Mediacom, or the guy who runs oh, Credit Suites, or the um, Tiam, what's his name, Tijit, um, 
the French Ivorian guy who runs uh, Credit Suisse. You know who I I'm know talking who about. you mean, but he's I very quiet. Doesn't say anything. I've never seen him speak before. At all. <laughs> but um, he's never seen him speak. He's very, very quiet. Just he moves in silence. So, so it was like a bad. Well, Jews do. But they do. So does lasagna, as Little mm-hmm. Wayne points out. Um, <laughs> yeah. So so anyway, but the key thing is um, with him. Um, so the key thing with people like that, for example, is that I felt that if they wrote the book, they could probably write a bit more straight and tell, explain what their experience was, etc. But I feel like, look, I'm somebody I want to. St- I'm in the entertainment business. Um, I, if I'm writing something, I'm not just looking at my competitors as the as the next book or something else. But I'm looking. I want to make sure that you are either choosing between watching EastEnders or reading my book, and I want my book to win. So I had to write something that was very, very entertaining at the same time. It's very informative. And something I also felt was very, very black at the same time, too. I'm really looking that. forward to it, to be honest. I only have the uh, the manuscript yep. in PDF form, and I'm like, I'm going to need a hard copy. Thank you. Oh, well, I'll thank I, that's very I much will so. wait. <laughs> I was like, I'll wait until I get the hard copy and when everyone else gets it. Um, I, hope you, I, hope, I, hope you, I hope I can afford to buy a bulletproof vest when it comes out, because I just think that, yeah. You are definitely going to trigger... Some people. Oh no! Um, I've already seen like some of the tw- some tweets about it, and like I've seen like some white women like, "Yes, this is what I've always wanted." I was like, "I don't think it is, but <laughs> we'll see." <laughs> Here's Here, the hoping. Here's um, the hoping, indeed. But yeah, I definitely think it's um, there's definitely a climate for literature in this in this way, and black people actually kind of being very vocal and very open about their experiences in the workplace, especially around race and racism, because. I feel like we've been very silent for a very long time. And and the ones that do speak up get silenced or kind of shooed away, Um, (laughs) which makes it kind of like, it it feels like no one's saying anything, but people have been saying things for a really long time. Um, I just want to ask like a question around self-care. One, in the process of going through this this world, I know that you said like some people just go home, relax. What were you doing? And also, one right whilst writing about it, was that a form of self care, a form of release? It was. It was a form of therapy. It, it certainly was. I think it was. It formed many many things. So up. Uh, so uh, it was a form of therapy. It really did help me actually understand things and try and because mm-hmm. one thing I'm not I'm not that much of a calculating strategizing person who just go. I'm not a Machiavellian brother or anything else so you, I have met some guys who's really there and it really blows up in their faces like yeah I, I told you it was good but so <laughs> that, that wasn't me so I would but I just felt like writing it all down and therefore strep, almost thinking like a Machiavellian black guy or something else mm-hmm. but it was something that I just found a bit comical to myself because uh, it's not really who I am in the slightest bit and even some of the stuff I wrote in the book I didn't really agree with but I just felt it had to be written I had yeah. to get my own politics out of the way but in terms of self-care there's many things that I do do and some of them I do recommend in the actual book I tend to go to to be frankly honest with you and I don't just do this for the work purposes i do this for the, for the societal purposes too i tend to actually go to a black country or a black predominantly black place once oh, a year thank you for saying that i agree uh, well just uh, so it's like when you go to that place where you're not a black person mm. you're just a person now it, that it. has its own stresses so when i go to lagos lagos is a stressful city lagos is fun. mad stressful lagos i could never crazy. return it's i just fun. couldn't do it but do you know where i went to that i really found amazing no where'd you go i went to atlanta Oh, you see, Hotlanta is really where I need to be at because that's like black people mecca. It is, but you know what's funny? Uh, you've seen, I went to, you ever seen 12 Years a Slave? Yeah, I have, yeah. So um, there was a moment in which when Solomon Northrop is reminiscing about when he was free mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then he just remembered there was a guy, I think they bought the, another, he went to the shop with his family and there was another man who was clearly been brought up in the South who was enslaved and he was just so shocked that Solomon Northrop was free yeah. and was just walking in and just walked into the shop after uh, him yeah, and was staring that. at him almost in shock. Like, I can't believe you're doing this. That 
is how are you allowed? How is he allowed to do this? Yeah. Because obviously he was from the south and the other guys from the north. And Solomon was from the north at the time. When I got to Atlanta and I saw black men and women on the golf course, dressed yeah. in all white or so, and they were just, it wasn't Living like, it wasn't like it, they were just like, maybe we go through the golf course for a laugh or something. <laughs> like, but this was normal to them. That was their they, life. That was so, their life. Yeah. And I, I felt like that slave in um, 12 years <laughs> I'm just staring. I was like, in what? Awe, that, like, you, you yeah. do this? That, how, how can they be permitted to do this sort of thing? And it just felt like, and it was so interesting. It had its, it had its crazy sides to it too, but it was very, very seeing that sort of, again, a chocolate mecca and all those sorts of things. I think you go to certain parts of Vegas, you go to certain parts of Accra, you go to certain parts. So I do find that, yeah, sometimes just taking myself out of it all mm. and really and just placing into myself into a, place where I, into a place where I'm just a person mm. and I'm not having to worry about being a black person or racism or anything else. And there are other stress associated with that too. But I just felt I do that once a year to really get to really get things going. Also, too, sometimes too, I just sometimes too for my own therapy purposes or so. Just particularly when I was working in the in the in media or when I'm working in media, for example, I tend to watch a film maybe once or twice a month, and it's uh, the same film. It's um, Spike Lee film called Bamboozled. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah. That film is wild. It's, it's crazy. I'm not sure I fully even understand it, it's, but it's, it's definitely crazy, out there. It just spoke to. It just was. I think it was for Spike Lee almost doing. I think like a white man or. Me or maybe think like white man's me doing what Spike Lee did with Bamboozle, which is mm-hmm. what you're telling the story of what's actually happening within a particular space, and in and really just laying it purging to some degree. Yeah. And I just saw the the main character, and I kind of I wouldn't say identified with him, but I just did see something inside him that I thought, so okay, I can see what this guy's going through. I can see everything that Spike is saying in this. Yeah. And I recognize it, so I'm not going crazy. This is actually really and truly how it happens. And um, hopefully it'll change one day. But till then, I better do what I need to do to protect myself. All right. So we have go to a country where you're pretty much all black. Write it down if you can. Yep. And also watch a movie that basically speaks to your experience. Yeah, plantain helps too. I must also add too. Fried plantain. Fried plantain. Oh, plantain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, plantain, I beg your pardon. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But yeah, no, that, those are some really great tips for self-care. I really love the black country one. I wholeheartedly agree. Not cheap, but it has to be done. It or definitely maybe is what worth we should it, do as black Britons, we should actually go and actually colonise a particular place <laughs> yes. in certain Britain. I say Cornwall. Or say we go down to Cornwall, we just I'm make it a dying. black holiday or so. Like, all of us just go there, shop. Lord, we'd just be surrounded as much by property, police property. the whole time. But then we turn around, we see, we then lobby and say we want the police to look like us. <laughs> so we then have a black police force who just leave like, us alone. What, what was that Netflix documentary, Wild Wild Country or something, where they just go in the middle of like middle of nowhere America and just build a city and just be like, we here now. <laughs> Exactly. And then just started like putting their people into the into village, positions or so we and get. then started getting positions of political power. It was insane. That sounds Such a good exactly. Country. That sounds like an actual model for us that we just need to create a black colony within Britain. That I say Cornwall, worst case scenario, Edinburgh's too cold, although it's beautiful. And so. man, no, man, it's too um, I say I think Cornwall's the spot for us. So that's where we need to go and just make it like, hey, Black Britannia. That's how <laughs> we rename it. So leave us alone. Everything else over the weekend, we all go there. A black land where. It's just happiness <laughs> and joy, wealth, prosperity for everybody or so. And then we have a day. I'm here for it, you know, I'd go. Uh, <laughs> certainly will. So there we go. The property prices would probably crash, which would make it affordable for <laughs> exactly, us for a while or so. that is then, true. Uh, so, yeah. So then, that white flight is a very real thing, you know. It's a very real thing. And then it's you go, phenom. you just be there beautiful little place that would just be prosperous and everything else and then we'll be vetting as to who comes in or so if you've got the wrong if you're bringing the wrong type of blackness along it's like Lord. go back home you're not allowed here you need to step your game up oh, and you Lord. come back here so. I cannot condone all of this do not agree do not agree <laughs> avoid avoid <laughs> 
Listen, recording with Nels was a whole vibe. Make sure you go ahead and get a copy of Think Like a White Man when it drops on May 16th. You can follow Nels on Twitter at Nels Abbey. That's N-E-L-S-A-B-B-E-Y. Thank you so much for listening in. If you're listening via the Apple Podcast app, please do me the small favor of spending five seconds to leave a rating. And if you've got a bit longer, a review as well. Also, do get your career brand and marketing questions in for the mailbag episode at the end of this season. You can do this via wannabepodcast.com or you can tweet them at wannabepodcast and also leave comments on the Instagram posts at wannabepodcast. If you like how this podcast is made and you think you can do what I do, then reach out to the Shoutout Network to find out more about membership. Visit shoutoutnetwork.co.uk. Also, the Shoutout Network has announced the Content is Queen Women's Podcast Festival on May 18th. If you are a woman interested in getting a podcast or starting a podcast, then please be sure to visit solifefestival.com for more information. Also, the festival is now taking place at King's Place again in King's Cross. So if you have tickets already, the venue has changed and we'll be sending out more information about that. Be sure to follow Wannabe on Twitter and Instagram and I will see you next Wednesday. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.